today I'm not looking at my clock. I'm not looking at my watch. I'm turning it the other way because it's going to be done when it's done. And that's just the way it is today. Today I am coming in the office that I stand in is the office of the prophet. So today I am not a pastor. As you can tell, Brian is definitely a pastor. He shared the pastor message this morning, so you have had a pastor this morning. So I am not in the pastor mode today. Today I am in the prophet mode. And I have been, I I taught this message, or I preached this message uh, last weekend at our church. And I felt to preach it in Holton, and I feel to preach it here. I feel that it's the word of the Lord. Uh, the message is the message, but the heart of it is the prayer and declaration that we are going to do at the end. But I need to lay some groundwork. I started getting bits and pieces of this. Um, this message started stirring in my heart probably about mid-June, and I started getting bits and pieces here and there. I'd be praying, and then I'd get a piece, and I'd get another piece. The Lord brought me back to the story of Elijah. And he's been kind of working on me with that story. And Elijah is really my husband's favorite. Joseph is my favorite. But he brought me back to Elijah. So I'm going to lay some groundwork. You're going to kind of think, where in the world is she going and why is she going like this? Because I have to kind of lay a groundwork first. Because I'm not sure the knowledge that people have of the Old Testament. And so I'm going to lay a groundwork. We're going to teach about uh, the prophet Elijah and what was going on around that time. It's always good to know background, to understand what was going on. The people or the nation of Israel was called to live separated lives under the theocracy or the divine rulership or leadership of God. As they were getting ready to conquer their land, the land that God had promised to them through Abraham, God gave them a command, and he told them, he says, that they were to completely remove all the inhabitants in that area. They were to make absolutely no covenant with them. They were to remove the altars. They were to remove the idols. They were to not partake in any of the religious rituals whatsoever. But unfortunately, if you look in the, the, the book of Judges, you will see that none of the tribes of Israel did this completely. They removed up to a point, and then it's just like they got tired, and they said, well, you know, we'll just let them coexist with us. And so depending on the king that they had at that moment, after Solomon, the tribes, the 12 tribes split. There was the tribe of Judah, and then there was the tribe of Israel. The tribe of Judah had some really good kings along the way, some bad ones, but some good ones. The tribes of Israel had evil kings that got worse and worse and worse. And so, for example, uh, David was the king over all of the 12 tribes. He was, the scripture says that he had a heart after God. And you could tell by the leadership that he had that he was a man after God. He lived in the Deuteronomy 28 blessing. How many of you are familiar with Deuteronomy 28? If you've never gone to read Deuteronomy 28, then I suggest that you go and do that. The first part speaks about all, it's a prophetic, it's a very prophetic chapter. It talks about the first part, talks about all the blessings. If the the people of Israel would uh, obey the commandments of the Lord, if they would do what he had told them to do, they would live in this outrageous blessings. But if they chose not to live in the commandments of God and what God had commanded them to do, the list of curses, I think, is even double the blessings. And it did come to pass. And 
When we look at the reign of David, we see that it was the peak at that time of all the land that they had conquered. There was the favor of God. They lived in the, the Deuteronomy 28 blessing is that they were the head and not the tail. They were the top and not the bottom. They were lending to many nations and didn't borrow from any. Even the supplies that David was able to collect to build so that his son was going to be able to build the temple for God was amazing. Favor from the nations around that would supply things uh, for them. But slowly with each new king that would come around, there was a decline of the godly principles. There was alliances that were made with the nations around them. There was intermarriage, intermarriage that was, was happening. There was allowance for their gods and their ungodly rituals. There was perversions that started to enter into, uh, with the people, compromises, which led to a watered-down belief. So, when you look in, in the New Testament, the Old Testament evaluation statement would be, they did what was right in their own eyes. It didn't matter what the Word of God said at this point. It's what they thought was right for the moment is what they did. So, because of this, God at times would allow the enemy to oppress them or to attack them because they would open the door. People say, oh, he's such a mean God. No, because of their disobedience, they open the door to the enemy. And so the enemy would come and attack them, and then the children of Israel would repent, and they would cry out for deliverance, and God would turn around and would deliver them. And then what would happen is that the whole cycle would start again. They would start living immoral lives, and then uh, again they would turn and be uh, oppressed or attacked by the enemy. So I want to zero in on the time of Elijah. Now, Ahab became the king of Israel, and this was the evaluation of his reign. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 to 33. And it says, Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all before him, as if it had been a light thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nimbat. He took a wife, Jezebel, daughter of Ethanbaal, King of the Sidonians. So Ethanbaal means that if you look in history that um, Jezebel's father was a high priest in the temple of Baal. He was a high priest and then he became king. So you can imagine how steeped in Baal worship that Jezebel was. So check against the word of God. Okay. It says, and he served Baal and worshiped him. Check, check. And then it goes on to say, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal in which he built. So now how many commandments of the Lord has Ahab broken? And it says that Ahab made an Asherah, an idolatrous symbol of the goddess Asherah. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. And then at the end of his reign, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25 says this. Ahab pushed by his wife Jezebel and in open defiance of God. Open defiance of God. 
set an all-time record in making big business of evil. He indulged in outrageous obscenities in the world of idolatry, copying the Ammonites whom God had earlier kicked out of Israel's territory. So now let's talk a little bit about Baal worship. How many of you are familiar with Baal worship? Okay, we got some a little bit. So, they believed that God would bring rain, uh, bountiful harvest, fertility both for the land and the people. So, in order to stimulate or emulate these deities, they would drink large quantities of wine uh, to induce these frenzies that they would go into. They would start self-laceration or they would cut themselves in order to see blood. Uh, they were led to sacrificial sexual intercourse by the priests and the priestess sacred prostitutes for both sexes, both heterosexual or homosexual. There was orgies that went on. In frenzies, the men would make themselves eunuchs and then they would dress as women. Uh, of course, in these humans, uh, all these unions would produce unwanted babies. And they would sacrifice these babies on the altar of Baal. This would include fortune-telling, divination. These were all legal. There was no moral restraint whatsoever. It was accepted at that time. You say, wow, that must have been a really horrible time to live in. Slowly, our nation has become like the nation of Israel. Okay, now remember, I'm coming as the office of the prophet. So I'm not going to pamper this. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. It is what it is. So you'll have a pastor next week that will come back. And just do everything nice and soft. All right? If we don't learn from history, we relive history. Now, how many of you have read the book, The Harbinger? We've got a couple. Harbinger. If you haven't read it, I suggest that you read it. It it, it was written by a Jewish rabbi that shows uh, the similarity between Israel and between the United States. And so, Hollywood. Now, I'm not talking about the city. I'm talking about the industry. Hollywood with all its tentacles into society, slowly has indoctrinated evils, perversion, and addictions, always pushing the level of exposure to our society. How many of you remember the Ellen Show? I think it was back in the 80s, early 90s. The first kiss on TV between same-sex. They put her on there, they made it happen, they took her out. But you know what? By that point, they had now dropped something into society. And slowly from that point, they started pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Listen, the TVs of the Lucy show where they were both sleeping in separate beds is not the TV shows that we see today. I was looking on Netflix. We don't watch a whole lot of TV. We just have the local channels. We have Netflix. And I had just watched some shows on MPBN, some of the older shows. And I thought, oh, that's really good. It's kind of a nice era to look. So I went and kind of perused on to see. And I found this, this series. And I thought, oh, that looks good. Kind of the same era. 
Within the first two minutes, I said, oh, my land. What in the world is going on? I had seen everything in two minutes' time. I'm thinking, this is being pumped into people's home continually. Horrible. Hollywood, the industry. It is shown to be part of a normal lifestyle. That's normal. Hollywood has become the eyes and the voice of Baal in our nation. Her tentacles reaching into all areas of entertainment. Movies, TV shows, music, video games. Uh, We see the influence in marketing campaigns. The push is there. Uh, News broadcasts. All forms of government. Why? Because the government loves money and Hollywood industry has it. And so whatever they want, if they want some sort of money, Hollywood is there to provide. But there's always a price to be paid. They'll say, we'll pump you the money, but this is what we want to go through. These are the laws that we want to go through. So... Even reaching into uh, the lives of our families. Why? Because it's pumped in. People come in. I'm tired. I just want to sit and I just want to listen to whatever is on TV. When you see something for the first time, it's like, oh, my lens, that's so bad. But we sit through it. And then the next time we watch it again, it's not quite so bad. And then before we know it, we are engulfed in this trash that the enemy wants us to fill our lives with. The voice of Baal being pumped into our families. It is pumped into our churches. It has affected all of our churches. School system, trying to get them at a very young age. There's a new comprehensive sex education curriculum ready to hit the schools. Eighth graders are going to have lessons on oral and anal sex. Fourth graders are going to be taught about incest. Kindergarten and up. The goal is to teach that homosexuality, bisexual, and transgender is normal. I sat there and I wanted to see uh, when Bruce Jenner, Caitlin, whatever you want to call him, I don't care. He's Bruce to me. When Bruce went up for the award that he got, and his whole push was for acceptance. Accept us, accept us, accept us. And this is what the push is towards our school kids. Accept it, accept it, accept it. Because when you come to the point where you accept it, the word of God has now taken second place in your life. Do you understand that? Once sin is no longer sin, we might as well take the book and we might as well trash it somewhere and live by Baal's rules. Because now we have now compromised like the children of Israel. Where sin is no longer sin, we will do what is right in our own eyes. The president, once this new law about the redefining marriage finally went through... The president's own words were this. 
We have been working a long time to have this come into effect. Really? Really? Why? They went through the back door. They did what they had to do in order to push it. Government. Hollywood. Bail. As this nation celebrates immorality, promiscuity, perversion as normal, the sacrificial altars have now consumed billions of our babies in in the U.S. alone, just in the United States. In 2011, there was 1.06 million babies aborted. We have done this now. It's been legalized for 42 years. Tell me. Tell me we're not as bad as Israel was. Tell me we aren't. You know, Hitler, people say Hitler was so bad that the people that he came, and he was, he was horrible. He was so wicked. But this nation is so wicked that it kills generation after generation after generation of babies that never will be able to to give glory to God, kill them, wipe them out. Now, this new thing, this last couple of weeks, Planned Parenthood, you know, that the babies that are no law, that are not really babies, they're just tissue, the garbage that they come. Now, if you've had an abortion, I don't come against you. God is gracious. He's loving. He'll forgive you. He'll help you through the hurt that you've gone through. I am not coming against you. But listen, truth is truth. They pump this stuff that's not even truth. It's just tissue. It's not really a baby. You're not doing any harm. They fill the minds of our kids with untruth. But now they've taken these babies part for part and sold them for a profit. With our tax dollars. 540 something million dollars that they get from us every year to run this program, to have them kill our babies. Listen, we are such in a progressive society. Don't tell me that there's no contraceptives out there. There's the pill, there's condoms, there's shots, there's patches, there's whatever IUDs, there's whatever you want. Come on, people. Tell me that we still have to abort babies. Tell me that. No, we don't. But because we are living in an age that they don't, people don't care the sins that they are doing. It's a wake-up call to the United States. Wake up. Wake up. Our motto has been, what was considered evil is now considered good. And what was considered good is now considered evil. As a nation, we have paid and we will pay a price for the decisions that we have made. When we honored God, this nation was living in the Deuteronomy 28 blessing. We were the head and not the tail. We are no longer the head as a nation. We are coming down to the tail. We were once the top nation. We are no longer the top nation. We are coming down. We are definitely the borrowers and not the lenders anymore. China owns us. You say, wow, really? Have I been living in a bubble? I'm busting your bubble this morning. 
So at the height of Baal worship, Elijah the prophet comes on the scene and he challenges King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and their gods. And so he makes this declaration. There will be no rain or dew until I say so. So for three years, there was neither. So this was a slam against their gods because their God was supposed to be the one that provided the rain and the harvest. So, now not everyone can make a declaration like that. So don't go home and say, well, I'm just going to come against all, and I'm just going to pray that there's no rain. You can't do that. It has to be God-ordained, and it has to be the right authority that does this. So Elijah was miraculously provided for until the rain returned by two very unlikely sources. It says that God commanded the ravens, to feed him twice a day, and then he had water by the brook. So twice a day, the ravens would drop pieces of food to him. Oh, it's a steak today. Maybe it was a T-bone. Maybe it was some chicken. Maybe it was a quail. Maybe it was some corn on the cob. Who knows what it was? But for twice a day, the ravens would come and drop food for him. When that all went south, it says that he commanded, or if it's too strong of a word, he arranged for the widow who had prepared her last meal for her and her son. They were getting ready. They had a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil. They were going to make their last cake, and they were going to die. Here comes this prophet, and he tells them, uh, why don't you make me a cake first? Can you imagine if a man of God said that to a little old widow today? Yeah, that wouldn't cut it really good, would it? But because she obeyed and made this little cake for Elijah first, she and her son were provided for for the rest of the time that there was no rain. So after three years, he shows himself to King Ahab. Uh, Ahab says to Elijah, he says, you troubler of Israel. Isn't that what the world says to us? Oh, you guys are the troublers. You Christians, you church, if you weren't around Things like this wouldn't be going on. But Elijah says, I am not the problem. You're the problem because you have broken the commandments of God and you went a whoring after the Baals. So he sets forth a challenge. He says, we're going to go to Mount Carmel. He says, I want you to bring your 450 prophets of Baal, your 400 prophets of Astra. It's going to be Elijah versus the Baal. And so... Once he gets up there, he asks the questions to the people. He says, how long are you going to dance between two opinions? He had no response from the people whatsoever. Because the people were full of doubt, they were full of compromise, they were full of watered-down belief. They did not believe fully in the God of Israel anymore because they had danced with Baal so much. So I would say to the Christians today, how long will you dance between two opinions? A little waltz for the Lord, a little waltz for Baal. You can't really tell now a majority of the time the Christians versus the world. Because there's no difference. The Christians cuss. The world cusses. I mean, you could go on and on. They abort children. They live in immorality. They do whatever they want to do. Because, you know, they do what was right in their own eyes. So, you say, is it really that bad? It is. 
I could tell you stories of what goes on amongst parishioners that would make your hair curl. But I could also tell you stories of what goes on with Christian leaders that would make your hair curl. Watered down churches that anything goes. Nobody needs to repent anymore. It's all covered under the blood. Hmm. Let's read Revelation again and see what he told the churches to repent. So he tells them, we have two altars here, two bulls. You pick which one you want. I'm going to let you guys go first. And so the only stipulation was this. You cannot start the fire. Your God has to start the fire. So he declares, whichever God responds with fire, he is the true God. And the people were pleased with that. He said, if the God of Baal is the one that starts the fire, then you worship Baal. But if it's the God of Israel that starts the fire, then you best worship the God of Israel. So was this the first time that God had actually started a sacrifice before? No. It happened back in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 24, found uh, with Moses and Aaron. After there was a sacrifice there, and God came and started the sacrifice and, and ate the sacrifice. But this time, God was going to bring it up a notch. So the prophets of Baal set up their altar. They shouted, they pranced, they prayed to no avail. Elijah got to the point that he started ridiculing them. He said, why don't you just cry a little louder? Perhaps he's in deep thought. Or maybe he's busy, or maybe he's traveling to a far country. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Cry, just cry a little bit louder. And so they started cutting themselves. Blood started to flow. They started prophesying. There was no response. There was no answer. There was no, no one actually paid attention. Then finally, Elijah said, okay, we're done now. You've had all the time that you need. It's not my turn. And so he tells the people, draw near. It is time for the people of God to draw near to him once again. It goes on to say that he repaired the broken altar. Do you know how loud that speaks? In a lot of our homes, in a lot of our churches, The altars are torn apart. There's no prayer. There's no word. There's no communication with the Heavenly Father. Our altars are broken, even in churches, even as Brian was saying. You know, it's now high entertainment. How much smoke can we have on the platform? How many strobe lights can we have? How much can we just entertain the people? That's not bringing your worship to God when you're just there to be entertained. You have to become a part. What we did this morning was becoming a part. It was worship. It was honoring the Father. The simplicity of worship. Entering in. So repair the altar. He used 12 stones to represent the complete 12 tribes of Israel. Now, when you look at the number 12, it means the perfect spiritual governmental foundation 
and God's power and authority. So the Lord was telling them here, I'm going to repair the governmental foundation of Israel, and God is going to show his power and authority. So he built his altar, fixed his altar, put the sacrifice on. He puts this huge trench around it, and then he tells his servant to go get some uh, water. So three times he dumps water all over the offering, all over the stone. It says there was so much water that it went and it went over and into the trench. And then he says that he prayed a simple prayer. And we're going to pray this at the end. A very simple prayer. And it says that the fire consumed the offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up the water in the trench. There was no doubt in the eyes of the Israelites that were there, were there who the God of Israel was. That the Baal was not the one to be worshipped, but the God of Israel. So the entire people saw it, they fell to their face, and they started saying, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So they seized the prophets of Baal, and they killed them. And then Elijah says to King Ahab, Break your fast. It's time to eat and drink, for I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Now, did he in the natural hear that? No, because in the natural, if the sound had been there, Ahab would have heard it. But in his spirit, he heard the abundance of rain coming. He says the drought is going to be over. So he went to the summit of Mount Carmel and he bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. And then he sent his servant six times to go look for anything. There was nothing. Six times, back and forth, back and forth, nothing. Clear blue sky. It had been clear blue sky now for three years. Beautiful blue sky. Can you imagine as a prophet now that you have just made a declaration that the rain is coming and your servant has come back six times and has said there's nothing. There's nothing. How long do you think Elijah was going to stay there? He was going to stay there as long as it took until the rain came. So on the seventh time, the servant came back and he said, I see the cloud of the size of a man's hand. Put your hand up. Okay, right there. How big is that? In a distance, he saw this little cloud the size of a man's hand. And you say, seven. Seven is an amazing number. If you ever get a seven in your dreams or when the Lord is talking, seven means uh, completion. And it's used a lot, if you see in the Bible, like uh, uh When God created the world, he created in six, and on the seventh day he rested because it was complete. Uh, When you look at the walls of Jericho, they went around seven times, and on the seventh day they went around seven times, and then the wall fell. Seven, very important, and that it was complete. When Naaman went to Elisha, where he was full of leprosy, and, and, and Elisha told him to go dip in the Jordan River, the dirty Jordan, and he went and he had to dip seven times because it meant completion, that it was going to be done at that point. And so in First Kings chapter 18, verses 45 to 46, it says, Then things happened fast. After he saw that small cloud the size of a man's hand, it says things happened fast. 
The sky grew black with wind-driven clouds and then a huge cloudburst of rain with Ahab hightailing in his chariot for Jezreel. And verse 46 says, And God strengthened Elijah mightily, pulling up his robe, tying it in his waist. Elijah ran in front of Ahab's chariot until he reached Jezreel. The power of God on Elijah was so powerful that he outran the horses. Isn't that amazing? The power of God. Is there going to be an amazing outpouring in this nation? Yes. Say it again. Yes. Say it louder. Yes. This has been my message. This is my heart. This is my passion. I believe it. We've had prophetic words personally. We've had words to the church. We've had words in the state of Maine. We have had words for this nation. We went about, I think it was like maybe three or four years ago, we went about in the state of Maine. We gathered up as many of the prophetic words uh, that we could find on the state of Maine about the outpouring. We gathered them all together. We put them in a book uh, called Maine Awake. And... uh, It's amazing to see the words and how they tie in together one after the other. And so in 2 Peter uh, chapters 3 verse 9, God, listen, never negates on his promise. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Uh, I was reading a book uh, about the Azusa Street Revival, and I came upon a prophetic word that I had never seen before. It was given in 1910 by Seymour. And this is what he said in the prophetic word. He said in about a hundred years, okay, this was given in 1910. Okay, listen, in about a hundred years, there would be another revival like Azusa Street. Only this time, it would not be in one place. It would be all over the world. There would be a return of the Shekinah glory and the miracles. This revival would not be just for one person or just pastors. It would be for everybody in the body. This time, the revival will not end until the Lord returns. They pronounced that this modern-day outpouring would surpass Acts 2, Topeka, and Azusa Street. Dennis Kramer is a prophet that we have uh, in our church, a powerful man of God, uh, gave us this word probably about, I think it was in 2010. He gave us this word. We had just had a prophetic conference. We were just starting our second session. And as soon as we walked in, he gave us this long word. And this is just a portion of this word. It says, I will bring waves of my spirit. The anointing will increase. The supernatural shall proliferate. I will fulfill all that I promised to this region. I will fulfill all that I have promised to this region. Remember, we have gone and we have pulled out as many prophetic words for this region, this this state, as we could. We compiled them. All of those, all of those promised to this region are going to come to pass. There will be an outpouring. There will be a flood. There will be winds and waves of my spirit. And the Lord says it will begin in the north and flow to the south. You will see me fulfill not some, but all that I have destined for this region. 
I will begin today to release unusual angelic activity in this greater region to prepare, prepare, prepare both the saved and the unsaved for an unprecedented move of my spirit. Special agents will now go before you and prepare this area, this region, and the atmosphere over it for a supernatural move of my spirit. Are you ready? Probably a couple of years ago, Dennis Kramer gave us a a word. And this is just a little portion of it. It says, there, uh, there is an awakening anointing upon the both of you. There is a revivalist anointing upon the both of you. New giftings, new callings, promotion, 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 provision, provision, provision. And this is the one. Supernatural, excess, surplus, abundance, overflow. I am going to walk in this. Do you understand? You make a choice today. You don't want to walk in it? Give it to me. Because I'll walk in your portion as well. I am going to walk. Anybody that wants to give it up, I'm going to suck it all up. Because I have been waiting so long for this. And I have declared and proclaimed it. That I am not going to miss it. You want to miss it? You miss it. But I'm not going to. That's supernatural, excess, surplus, abundance, overflow. It's going to be mine. Do you want it today? Okay, just become as aggressive as I am. Don't say, well, if the Lord wills, then he's going to give it to me. You're not going to get a thing. Unless you become and say, I want it. When you're hungry, you don't say, well... If I really want some food, somebody's going to bring me some. No. If you're really hungry in the natural, you're going to go to the refrigerator. You're going to stop your face until you're full. It's like that in the spiritual. If you want the supernatural, excess, surplus, abundance, overflow, get up. Feed yourself the Word of God. Prepare yourself. Get yourself ready. Get your house ready. Get your home ready. Get your kids ready. For that supernatural power that is coming. Oh, excited. Can you tell? I'm in that vein. This is my passion, people. Stir the people. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It says, it went on to say, nothing in the natural realm is going to affect this supernatural performance or promotion. There is virtually nothing that is in the natural that is going to any way hinder this from happening. Nothing in the natural is going to hinder this from happening. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So who is going to hinder this move of God? Say it again. Who is going to hinder this word of God? Nothing, 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 nothing. It is coming. It is a promise. God does not negate on his promises. Yes! Ha! There shall be an outpouring of healing power of God within the places here in this day. Unmistakable signs and wonders. You are going to see miracles in abundance. Love it, love it. So, I have been faithful to declare this. This has been my passion, like I said, this is my passion. And so, 
probably about maybe three months ago, I was praying and the Lord gave me a rhema word in Daniel 10 verses 12 to 13. And you know, when God gives you a rhema word, you have to kind of look and see uh, what he's really trying to tell you. Some people run with stuff before they actually have the full knowledge of what God is trying to tell them. And so I sat there and I studied and I thought at that point, I thought, oh, God is just confirming. And the word was this, I have come for thy word. That was the scripture that God came, gave me. And I thought, well, you know, he's coming for the word that, uh, you know, that I've been proclaiming, blah, blah, blah. But then as I went deeper and deeper, the Lord told me, he says, when you look at the story of Daniel and where it fit in, I'm going, wow, this has nothing to do with the outpouring whatsoever. What he's trying to tell me is something really different. And what he was trying to tell me, like when you get the rain, sometimes when you get a rainbow word, you're going like, wow, really? I don't understand this. Really, I don't. So I was kind of like that. I don't really understand the fullness of it. But as I sat there with, in, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, I asked for revelation and knowledge. And he kind of opened it up to what he was trying to share. He says, I want you now that you have been faithfully declaring the outpouring. I want you to start looking beyond the outpouring. I want you to start declaring things beyond the outpouring. I thought, well, that's really great, but I don't know what to declare. So for these last three months, it's been a really good rhema word that I had not known what to do with until I started preparing this message. See, the Holy Spirit is very faithful to enlighten you, to give you revelation, to give you knowledge of what he wants you to do. And so as I was getting this ready, I'm going like, oh, that's what it means to look beyond what was going to happen. So the outpouring is not going to be a cure-all to change culture. Okay? The outpouring will stir the body of Christ to operate in the power and the authority that they already have that they don't realize that they have. <laughs> okay? It's going to revive the church. All right? It's not going to bring an awakening. It's the, the, the revival is the beginning of an awakening. An awakening changes culture. And it, an, an awakening will last for about, when you look in the past awakenings that we've had, they last for about 40 to 50 years. Okay, so that, in that time, changes culture. So... Elijah thought that the powerful demonstration and the rain would completely break the Baal culture that Ahab and Jezebel had set up. So he thought when all this was done, he thought, wow, the children of Israel have declared their alliance. They have declared that the God of Israel is the God of God. But as soon as he was done, Jezebel heard this. And she told Elijah, I am going to kill you. Do you think that the culture that we are in right now is just going to keel over when the awakening begins? No. If you think yes, you need to have a rethinking there. The demonic forces will try to destroy the church or the move of God. They are setting up strategies even now to annihilate us and our Christian rights. Sometimes Christians live in a bubble. 
You need to look out to see what is actually going on in this nation. You need to be aware of the laws and the things that they are trying to put in effect against us. So, Elijah wasn't prepared emotionally for the response that he got from Jezebel, so he ran. I think he thought his proclamation, the powerful demonstration of God's power, the outpouring of rain would totally defeat the Baal influence. So, once he ran, God asked him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you in such point of discouragement? So I would say to the church body, when the outpouring starts and we are excited, don't be surprised about Jezebel rising up and trying to defeat us. Because if we're not aware of what the enemy is going to do, we are going to run in the caves like Elijah did. If we are not prepared emotionally, physically, mentally to fight, to stand our ground, the enemy is going to make us run in discouragement. Because we will go through this amazing outpouring and then we will think it has availed nothing because the culture has not changed. Hmm. Being aware. As Christians, we need to know the strategy of the enemy. When we know that, we can plan correct attack on how to defeat him. So, God wanted to clarify Elijah's vision. So, in the natural, there was the windstorms, there was the earthquakes, there was the fire... Even in the church, it's not going to be the shake, the rattle, and the roll. But it's going to be the gentle whisper that gives the command. And our obedience to that command. It requires us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to hear the commands of the Lord. And to obey them. We're no longer living in this cute little era now. We are ready to fight. We should be ready as a church to fight. Put on the whole armor and leave it on. Be alert. Because the enemy is out to defeat us. So, it says at one point that he wrapped his face in his mantle. The mantle in the Old Testament represented the calling. So like a prophet had his his own mantle, a king had his own mantle. So it came to the point that Elijah wrapped himself in his calling, in his anointing, in what God had called him to do again. It is our responsibility, each one of us, to wrap ourselves again in our calling. What has God called you to do, Ben? What has he called you to do? What is your purpose here? You have a purpose. You have to wrap yourself in the calling of God, especially for you. 
some of us have kind of pushed our calling, pushed our anointing aside because of discouragement, because of not understanding what is going on. So God is charging you once again. Find out again. Wrap yourself in your calling again, in your anointing, in your purpose. This is good. This is such good stuff here. Wrap yourself again. So he went back to what God had originally called him to do. It is the same for the body of Christ. We have to find out. It's time. It's not time anymore just to be playing around. It's time to be serious. It's always been time to be serious, but especially now. And so God asks Elijah again, what are you doing here? And Elijah starts on and says, well, you know, I'm the only one here, you know, and Jezebel was running after me. You know, because we come to a point that we get discouraged in where we are at. And we can't see anything beyond our hurt, beyond our pain, beyond our discouragement. And God is trying to say, remove that heaviness off of you so you can see Because there's so much more that I want you to do. I need you. The Lord is saying, I need each one of you. You are so vital to the plan of God. He uses each one of us in different ways. You might not be behind the pulpit screaming like I'm screaming right now. But you know what? You might be a gentle whisper. You might be the one that shows love and compassion. Whatever God has called you to do. And so, I'm sure that God probably said it like this. Hey, Elijah, wake up. You are only, you have only done the beginning of the process. I want to give you more strategy. I'm going to build a teamwork around you. You are not going to do this alone. We cannot do this alone. We need one another. The leadership needs you. You need the leadership. We need each other. He says, I have 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000. When you look at that number, it means complete, mature, bold individuals. Okay, so he was telling Elijah, you're not alone. We cannot do this alone. He says, I'm go- it's going to take others to complete what you started. He says, I want you to go and anoint Hazel to be, king of A- uh, to be the king of Aram. Now, he was told here to anoint the enemy. Okay, and we'll come back to this later. He says, go and anoint Jehu king to become the king of Israel to replace Ahab. And then anoint Elisha to replace you as prophet. So 1 Kings 19, 17 to 18 says this. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who have, whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now what does that mean for us? Is there going to be an outpouring, an awakening? Absolutely. Hosea 6.3 says this, Then shall we know that if you follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the former and the, the latter and the former rain unto the earth. In Joel 2.23-24 it says this, 
Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully. We have seen, we haven't been there, but we have seen and heard the book of Acts. We have heard about Topeka. We have heard about Azusa Street. He has been faithful to provide the rain then. So it says, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down to you, the former and the latter rain in one month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat. What does that mean? Abundance of harvest. So not only are we going to see miracles in abundance, but we were going to see an abundance of souls come into the kingdom. A harvest. And it says the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. It's going to be a new move of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be fresh. It's not going to be people that are going to say, well, I remember back in the 1950s, you know, we had a Holy Ghost kingdom right there and it was really good. I don't care what happened in 1950. I want what God has for now. I want the new wine, the new Holy Spirit to be poured within us. Praise God. So, will the former and the latter rain be the only thing that brings this nation around? Absolutely not. This will stir, the outpouring is going to stir the body of Christ, the church to make a fresh allegiance. To stop dancing between two opinions. This is what the revival, the outpouring is going to do. As it did with the nation of Israel that I read back then. When they saw the supernatural power of God, they stopped dancing to and fro, but they made a fresh allegiance to the Lord. This is what the outpouring is going to do. The church is going again to become a defined body. They will see that God is alive and well. The spiritual drought will be over in this nation. Okay? There's an old song, and I think Freddie Clark sang. I don't even know if any of you know Freddie Clark. But anyway, it's a song that says, uh, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recre- recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to. Run if you will. But I came here to stay. How many of you are in for the fight? Amen. Amen. Praise God. We will operate in the power and the authority of God that is ours. We will bring multitudes into the kingdom. But we cannot run. We cannot do like Elijah did and run to the caves. We have got to realize that the enemy is going to try to attack us. So what are the four things that God told uh, Elijah to do? Number one, he was to anoint Hazel which was the enemy of God. Now, just like Israel, it became necessary at times for the outside enemy to come in and put pressure upon the nation. So, in the United States, do you think that that might happen? So, this will happen more than likely to the United States as well. Every time we put wickedness into the law, as when we have done with the refining of marriage, we have now as a nation opened the door to the enemy as the nation of Israel has done in the past. Open the door to the enemy. Was it hard for Elisha to anoint Hazel? 
Because Elijah didn't anoint him. Elisha anointed Hazel. In 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 11 to 12, it says this. And the man of God, Elisha, wept. And Hazel said, why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men that you will kill with a sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. It's never pleasant. Do I want to hear about that? To be done to our nation? Absolutely not. I don't want to hear that. I'd like to block my ears and say, no, 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 no. I love this nation, but I don't like Baal. I don't love Baal. I don't like what the enemy is doing to this nation. So there are times that come that the pressure has to be put on a nation. Number two, anoint a new leader, Jehu, was to nullify all that Ahab and Jezebel had established. Now, Jehu, when you read about Jehu, he was this bold, brash man. He was coming... uh, The story says that uh, these people saw a bunch of horses coming and they went out to see who it was. And the guy came in, he says, it's Jehu because he rides like a madman. He, he, He had a mission to do. He had something that needed to be accomplished and he was bold to do it. He went, he said he went and he, first thing he did was on his agenda was to get rid of Jezebel. So. He goes up to this place. There's Jezebel hanging out the window. She had all her makeup, it says, put her makeup on, her jewelry on. Her hair was just done to right. And she was probably Googling at Jehu, saying, hey there, Jehu, how you doing, buddy? And Jehu looks at the two eunuchs. That's my interpretation. The two eunuchs in the back, he says, are you for the Lord or are you for Jezebel? If you're for me, then throw her out the window. So the first thing that he did was he killed Jezebel. Then what he does, he goes and destroys the whole lineage of Ahab. Then he goes and destroys all of Ahab's advisors, all of his close acquaintances. Then he threw this big Baal worship party. I'm sure he had these big posters. Come and worship Baal. Come on, we're going to have a great time. They all came there to worship and he destroys all the Baal worshipers. It was so complete. This is what it says. It said it was so complete was the destruction that Baalism was wiped out of Israel and the temple of Baal was torn down and made into a garbage dump. Okay, listen to me. It says Baalism was wiped out of Israel. Is it possible for this nation, for Baal to be wiped out of this nation? Yes. We need to pray for our next president. Someone with guts. We don't need some more Clintons in there. We don't need that. Now, I'm not validating Donald Trump, but really, the man is brash and has no fluff. I like that about him. I like that he looks at the reporters and says, you know, the people hate you. Just like, wow, how fresh is that? I love that. Because really, people do hate the reporters because they're so biased. I like that. He tells the truth. He tells it like it is. But I'm not endorsing him. I'm just saying we need someone in there that's going to make a difference and not going to be a mamsy-pamsy. 
bringing in the trash of the enemy. Number three, anoint Elisha. The next spiritual leader has to be anointed and put in place. I put spiritual leaders. Elisha was in position for 50 years. 50 years he was in place. That's an awakening. We need spiritual leaders that will rise up. Now, Elisha contended for the double portion anointing. So when I kind of looked at him, oh, I love this. Okay? We, as spiritual leaders, need to contend for the double portion anointing. What is that? The former and the latter day reign. The double portion. Elijah, wherever he went, he would look at Elisha and he'd say, no, you don't need to come anymore. Just stay here. Elisha would say, there ain't no way that I'm leaving you because I want the double portion of what you have. So they would go a little bit further. And kind of the prophets, the other prophets would kind of laugh at Elisha. And they say, you know, why do you keep following Elijah? He says, I'm not going to miss out what God has for me, which is the double portion that Elijah has. So as a spiritual leader, I am saying I ain't going to miss with a double portion that God has for my life. Because when the, the, the switch changes from the Elijah to Elisha, I am in position to receive that double anointing. I am not going to let it go. Are you? The new spiritual leadership will be those that contend for the double portion, the former and the latter day reign. Elisha presented the word of God through prophecy, advising and anointing kings. Our leadership needs to be back into the White House advising the kingdoms. Like when Billy Graham used to be when, he, when the Bushes were around. They were allowed and they spoke truth. We don't need the false prophets in there prophesying to our kings, to our presidents. We don't have kings, but presidents. You know what I mean. Elisha performing miracles, training and equipping the future leaders of this nation. And number four, that the 7,000 that have not bowed their knee, there is always a remnant. Okay, it's never a large amount to begin with. It's always just a remnant. Those that are complete, mature, bold Christians that have remained strong and true and that have not bowed their knee to this country's bail. This is an army that is ready to march and conquer. Are you part of that army? I am. Praise God. There's an army out there. We need teamwork. We need to, 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 to join hands. You know, it's like what the Word says in the New Testament, that we are a body joined together, you know, fitly formed. We need one another. You know, when the leg decides to take off and go there, you know, you're, you're like a hop-along. Okay, you hurt. You're out of alignment. You know, you have to compensate in so many different ways. But God is calling his mighty army back together. It's like the, the, the vision of the dry bones. You know, Elijah talked about, oh, not Elijah, the, the, ah, Ezekiel. I knew it was an E, but you know. And, you know, it's just like we're, we're all scattered all over the place. 
But God is sounding the trumpet and calling his vast army to come back together again, to form this outrageous, big, powerful, bold, complete, mature army again. Praise God. The power of a single prayer to change the course of history. He is waiting for us to pray. He is waiting for us to speak. Are your prayers bold? They should be. Is it impossible for you when you make those prayers? They should be. Because you shouldn't be able to answer your prayers. It should be able that we, ha- we need divine intervention in order for our prayers to come to pass. Not on our own ability. I was trying to find the word. It was running fast in my mind, but it couldn't come out. There is nothing that God loves more than keeping his promise, performing miracles, fulfilling dreams. That is who he is. We are a prayer away from a dream fulfilled, a promise kept, a miracle performed. When we boldly pray, we always have our reputation at stake, as do others. Did it sound weird when Elijah made these proclamations? Absolutely. Let me look at Noah. Noah was told, go build this huge boat, and he builds it for 120 years. So for 120 years, he's declaring to the people of God, look, we're going to build this big boat and it's going to protect you. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a big rain that comes. The people didn't even know what rain was at that point. Did people ridicule and laugh? Of course they did. David made this declaration. He was 17 years old and he says, I'm going to make this declaration, I'm going to take this stone, and I'm going to kill this big giant. It doesn't make any sense in the natural. Jericho, this huge wall, it was so big, this wall was so big, they said that they raced chariots around it. That that is how thick that wall was. And here are these children of Israel that say, well, we're just going to march around it for seven times, and on the seventh day we'll march seven times, and this wall is going to fall. It doesn't make any sense. The Magi said, we're going to follow this star, and when we come right underneath it, we're going to find the king. Really? Doesn't that sound all a little crazy? Jesus looks at Peter and he says, walk on the water. Can't do it. We can do it in January here in Maine. We can walk on the water. But back then, they couldn't. It was like literal water. Jesus was going to wear a crown of thorns that would crown him king of kings. It doesn't make sense. Jesus was ridiculed. We're going to be ridiculed for the declarations that we make. And that's all right. It doesn't really matter when you believe what you believe. Job 22:27 to 28 says this. You will make your prayer to him and he will hear you and you will pay your vows. You shall also decide and decree a thing and it shall be established to you and the light of God's favor shall shine upon your ways. Jeremiah 1.12 says, The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So are we living in the days of Elijah or in the days of Elisha? I think we're living in the days of both. And I think the transition is getting ready to happen. 
The only one that Elijah literally anointed was Elisha. Elisha anointed Hazel and Hazel. Elisha is the one that received the double portion. Elisha is the one that equipped, trained, and prophesied over the leadership. So James 4.2 says this. You do not have because you do not ask. So this morning, I'm come, I've come to the end of what I'm going to share. We're going to pray and we're going to declare now. And that's how we're going to close the service. I ask you to stand. Join someone and nobody stand alone. Find someone and join hands. And I want you to decree, to decree and to pray with me. We're going to pray, number one, for... Uh, we're going to pray the prayer that Elijah prayed on the mount. And then we're going to speak to the rain. We're going to pray to beyond the outpouring. And then we're going to pray for increase of revelation to see. So, Lord, we thank you today for these people that have a heart after you. So we pray First Kings 18, chapter 18, verses 36 to 37. O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are the God of the United States of America. That you, that we are your servants and that we are doing what we're doing because of your orders. Answer us, O God. O answer us and reveal to these people that you are God the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance to repent again. So we pray for this nation, Lord, that repentance would come again. That this would not be a word that is just pushed aside and say that it is irrelevant for our society to use this term anymore but awaken this nation lord awaken this nation we thank you for the promise of the former and the latter day rain we thank you for zechariah 10 1 that says ask the lord for the rain in the time of the latter rain and the lord will make flashing clouds and he will give them showers of rain so we ask now We ask now for the rain from heaven. We hear the sound of an abundance of rain. In our spirit, we hear the sound of the abundance of rain. So we declare it now because we see it on the horizon. We command the rain to come forth right now in the name of Jesus. We speak to the north right now and we say rain come forth. We speak to the south right now and we say rain come forth. We speak to the east right now and we say rain come forth. We speak to the west right now and we say rain come forth. Lord, we pray for the harvest. We pray for the laborers. Matthew 9, 37 to 38 says the harvest is going to indeed be plentiful. 
But the laborers are few. So we pray to the Lord of the harvest to force and to thrust laborers into the harvest. So we pray, Lord, for the body of Christ, that you would shake him to the core, that you would shake him, Lord, that all would become laborers in this harvest, that they would not just sit on their couches, but they would become laborers. We force out, we thrust out the laborers in the harvest right now in the name of Jesus. We want the fullness. We want the completeness of it. We are tucking in our skirt and running because it is coming. We are ready. Lord, we know, Father, that you have to bring an outside force to squeeze us because this nation has broken its commandments. This nation has stood in defiance of you. Even this leadership, Lord, we pray for our president and we continue to pray for our president as we are commanded. But we know that he has walked in defiance of you. That he has walked in the evilness of Baal worship. So, Lord, we pray for mercy for this nation. It's not that we want to pray for this, but we have to pray for an outside force to come and squeeze us. Mercy, Lord. Mercy upon this nation. Mercy upon this people. But it will be accomplished what needs to be accomplished in this nation. We pray, number two, for our government leadership, which would include our next president. We pray for your protection upon this man right now. We pray for the wisdom and the favor of God and the favor of man to be upon him. That he would be strong. That he would be bold. That he would accomplish what he is called to accomplish. To destroy the works of Baal in this nation. That he would run like a wild man like Jehu until everything that Jezebel and Ahab have set up have been destroyed. That they would be nullified, nullified, bail in this nation. Number three, we pray for the spiritual leaders that you are raising up and that you have raised up. We thank you, Lord, that you are restoring our altars in this nation. That the government foundation of the apostles and the prophets would be solidified once again. That they would stand in power and authority. That prophecy, they would prophesy truth. That they would advise and they would anoint governmental leadership. That they would perform miracles. That they would train and equip the, for the future generation. We command you now to arise and take your position. Arise and take your position, apostles and prophets. Shake yourself. Shake yourself. Shake yourself. Arise and take your position. Do not be afraid of Jezebel. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Take your rightful place. Take your mantle and wrap yourself in it again. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. Korabasitia. Korabasatititi. 
Number four, we pray for the body, for your church. For the 7,000 that have not bowed to Baal. More that we would link arm and arm together to see what this nation has never experienced before. Something they have never seen before. Lord, we pray that you would continue to stir, continue to unite, so that once again we'd be a strong, focused, mighty army. That we would start seeing beyond the outpouring, but that we would see to the awakening that is coming. Lord, I pray that you would give us strategy to change this culture. We know that this is just the beginning, that the revelation is just starting to flow. Now, I pray, Lord, to enlarge our vision, enlarge our revelation, enlarge what we need to see, enlarge our knowledge to become strategically efficient in our strategy. Lord, we pray for our churches. We pray for this region, we pray for this state, and we call forth an awakening right now again. As your words that have been prophesied over this state of Maine, that it is an apostolic nation, or state, that it is an apostolic state, that it is a state of first. That the outpouring would start in this little state of Maine. The little Bethlehem. What good can come out of this state? The power and the anointing and the outpouring will come forth out of this state. That it will flow to the other state from one state to another to another. So we thank you, Lord. We pray Daniel 10, 12, which says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, celebration life. For from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come for your words. So I thank you today, right here in celebration life, That you have heard the words that I have declared, but as this people have agreed as well. That you have heard these words and you have come for these words. So we thank you and we pray for these people of Celebration Life. Awaken these people, Lord. That they are not just little nobodies in the middle of nowhere, but they are a powerful army. That it doesn't, size doesn't matter, but it's the heart of these people that count. So I thank you for these people. I thank you that they're going to walk out of this place like a roaring lion. That they will roar at the enemy. That they will find their place. That they will conquer all that God has placed before them. So we thank you, Lord, for these people. We speak blessing upon this church. Anoint these people for a time such as this. 
We give you praise and we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So I just want, where's our song leader? Let's just, we're just going to close in just a love song. Okay? And that's how we're going to close our service. I know it's later than normal, but who cares? It's raining outside. There's not much you can do. So praise God. Mm -hmm.